You know, we always have chocolate donuts, too. Jesus Christ, you have wasted enough of our time already. We need to get started. You know, Sean, sometimes I get a lot like you, where you have a lot of anxiety because of a deadline, you know, where you feel pressure because something has to get done. And then all of these damn little unknown variables keep popping up. Hello, friend. You've got mail. I'm so excited to be here for the Hello Friend podcast with my fabulous co-host, Henry. Hey there, Henry. Hey, Margaret. I'm feeling fabulous. Let's go. I'm <laughs> Let's, feel- do <laughs> Let's do this. I'm feeling fabulous as well. And we are here to discuss the fifth episode of season three of Mr. Robot, essentially called RuntimeError.roo, written by Cor Adana and obviously created by Sam Esmael and directed by Sam Esmael. The description of the show is E-Corp is in chaos. Elliot is on the run. Darlene tries to help. What did you think of this episode, Henry? So Margaret, I don't know if you remember uh, me saying before that I thought given the anticipated start of phase two in 10 days, that was mentioned in like the prior episode where they said that they were going to start in 10 days and the number of episodes left in the season. I thought they're going to have to slow, they're going to have to like compress the narrative pacing a bit to kind of time it so that the climax of phase two happens around the season's end. So, but I didn't think that they would actually make it in essence like live, right? Because if you think about this, the way that this episode unfolds, it unfolds without any interruptions. So we're basically taking a snapshot of about an hour in the lives of all the characters here. This particular episode was special in that it was, first of all, commercial-free, and it was shot as though it was one long, continuous shot. Of course, that had that was a lot of really artful pacing and editing together of different footage, but it really, I thought, drove up the stakes of the tension pretty high and was still incredibly grounded in what it is like to maneuver through a giant office building like that at the same time. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of some prior lives that I've had where I've worked in buildings like this. You know, the way that the air smells, the, the lighting, the banter with the people who you have to work next to, things like this. It really reminded me a lot of that too, a big building in Manhattan. And I remember walking through the halls and the different security. And when I watched the episode a second time, I watched it with the closed captioning on. And it really gave a lot of context to the amazing sound effects that you were just mentioning, the sound of people sipping their coffee and tapping on their phones. And then in the beginning of the scene with Elliot, in the elevator. And some of my favorite scenes at E-Corp are of Elliot in the elevator. He had that guy turn to him and say something in German. Yeah. Did you catch what he said in German? It said, alle Anfang ist schwer. And it's actually, I think, incorrect German. What it's supposed to say is, 
all beginnings are hard, but I would think in German that would be alle Anfänge sind schwer or schwierig, not to be too splitting of hairs here. But that was super creepy. And when it turned out that Angela was standing right next to Elliot the whole time, I thought that was a pretty cool, remarkable scene of how it's possible to zone out in an elevator, especially if you're Elliot. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that elevators kind of become the socially accepted space where we don't interact with each other. We all kind of stare in one direction and it's fine to completely ignore people that you know um, and, and miss the fact that they're around. Yes, and in fact, it's considered downright rude in a lot of these corporate settings and these elevators to have really extensive, loud conversations. It's frowned upon. You're sort of sometimes invading other people's spaces. Yeah, and then also you'll be talking about things that may or may, that are probably sensitive um, around people who don't need to hear. So you got to be really mindful of what you're saying, uh, in a, in a, even in a big corporation like that. And another thing I thought that was interesting, see, there's so much to talk about regarding this one elevator scene. It's really the attention to detail that I love about Mr. Robot. And this particular elevator, as in many corporate buildings, had a television right inside the elevator, if I recall correctly. Do, is that right? And they were talking about the whole annexation of the Congo story. Yeah, I used to work at a place that had TVs in the elevator, several places actually. And of course, those TVs sell ad space so that you can be marketed to while you're being held as a captive audience. Speaking of captive audience, while we're still in the elevator, the music started chiming in, piece by Philip Glass, a chorus of people singing numbers. Sometimes I try to just Shazam the music if I don't recognize it when it's being played. And you know, Henry, Shazam is one of my favorite apps. But there's this great website called TuneFind, which lists all the songs that are used in different popular programs. And so when I don't have time to do my own Shazamming, I check out TuneFind to get a sense of what music is playing in a given episode of Mr. Robot. Does it also do reverse lookups? Like if you typed in Jeff Buckley's great, uh, Hallelujah, would it tell you all the different things that it appeared in? That's a good question. I would bet it does. That'd be really interesting. Like Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah has been in so many different things. I'd be interested to see a definitive list. You do see a lot of songs go through these periods where they're licensed and used a lot. It, it used to be that Iggy Pop song, Lust for Life, was licensed all the time. And now there's a Ramones song. I hear it all the time. The Ramones estate, whoever's left of the Ramones, they're sure profiting. We hear audio effects. We are hearing that kind of glitching sound where something's sort of short-circuiting. It sounds like an electrical static sound. And we definitely heard that while Elliot was in the elevator. And after he starts walking around E-Corp and he's saying something's not right, he starts talking about how codes run through routines until they're finished. Elliot starts to worry, am I having a runtime error? Well, it says something about Elliot's life that he can just kind of black out and think, well, you know, was I just kind of spaced out? Like, have I just been kind of going through the motions uh, for four days with no memory? Um, and only does it really kind of slowly dawn on him that, hey, wait, I'm missing memories. I think it might be Mr. Robot. It's not just that I've been mesmerized by my corporate drone life and my birch box delivered goods. <laughs> 
you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. He was so off kilter, Elliot, that is, that when his coworker Samara was once again going into all of his stories about the ladies, Elliot really dinged him for the graphic sex talk and really sort of hit Samara where he lived. And Elliot didn't mean to do that. He meant to be narrating that to us, the viewers. So off kilter, he kind of told his coworker off. And, and I mean, how many people like Samar have you encountered in terms of archetypes? He's a certain, Samar reminds me of people I've met in corporate settings, unfortunately. Well, yeah, to the extent that someone can be a little bit over the top in their enthusiasm for something, you know, and kind of using it to position themselves in a better light. Like that's a very uh, typical thing that you see, I think. Yes. And all of those stories of bravado, if you look at some of real life stories that have been happening in the tech industry, people buying race cars with their VC money and throwing parties. I mean, that scene from HBO Silicon Valley, I know this is a different show, but where Bachman rents Alcatraz and transforms it into a Hawaiian luau theme startup party. I mean, that's not really too far from reality. And I love the the, the progression from uh, offend, being offended to, <laughs> well, you know, I kind of appreciate it, you know, because I always wanted to know. It's just even, and you just see Elliot's disappointment, like him going from, you know, I don't care if he's offended because it might mean that he doesn't talk to me. Awesome. And then like, oh shit, he's going to want to talk about this. Oh man, why? Why? The funny thing too is that Elliot did end up helping him on some level. Samar feels so little about himself. He has such low self-esteem that he can't even stay mad at Elliot for more than two minutes to the extent that he covers for Elliot with security at E Corp when clearly something is amiss. Yeah, and it kind of gives you, I don't know, I thought that kind of added some nuance to his character because we all know people who are kind of complicated, who, you know, they're not just 100% awesome. They have their kind of annoying aspects to them. But at the end of the day, you really care about, are they going to have your back when you need it, right? And in this particular case, I think Samara kind of shows that despite all of his issues, he's willing to kind of come through for Elliot. At the end of the day, Samar on the scale of problematic people is not that bad. And, and when he was interacting with the women at E Corp, at least he waited until they walked away before he was a total pig. Not that that's excusing it at all. Then we see that Elliot can't log in. That's always the first sign of doom in the corporate world is if your login and password start not working. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that the true? Like if your email all of a sudden, email password all of a sudden stops working, you might want to talk to HR. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and he's and Elliot's on hold with the customer service at eCorp, the internal sort of IT people to help him. And the hold music was really ironic and funny. And Elliot's starting to panic. And we all know what it means because Angela basically successfully had him fired. And I loved when Samar stepped up and did try to distract the people who were after Elliot. He got reprimanded for his microaggressions. <laughs> I thought that language was really funny because it not that kind of very much our time and place? Like this show was supposed to be what, set in 2015? But I feel like someone saying exactly what that person said is very 2017. Like, I think you're, we talked about your microaggressions. Like, you really need to tone that down. Mm -hmm. In that environment, people learn the ways to uh, 
influence and manipulate that environment. They learn these certain skills or behaviors. So in this particular case, when Sumar needed to delay, he fell into the role of being the dumb. So Elliot gets congratulated by the archetypal, hardworking female executive, the one person in the whole hierarchy who probably is the workaholic. He has to deal with her and he finds an excuse to calmly get away from her when he was in the conference room because Elliot was still trying to run from security and he broke into that sales meeting. <laughs> that was awesome. And he was acting like a kind of uh, annoying sales guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got to finish this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, cl- I'm close. I'm close. I'm really close. Where am I? Oh, let me look at my calendar, right? Like where, like he doesn't even know where he's supposed to be without his device and his calendar. Such an important busy guy. The real final straw is when he messed with the donuts. <laughs> and he kind of showed like all the different kind of corporate norms that he was violating. Like, oh, he walked into a meeting that he didn't belong to. Oh, he, uh. You know, messed with the donuts. <laughs> the the things, the transgressions that he was doing were very corporate. Yeah, and even the fact that Elliot was wearing a hoodie and everyone else was dressed up in a sort of a gray or, or dark suit, that was a huge contrast as well. And the way he sort of gaslighted what was the guy's name? You know, but I used to be like you, you know, I used to be on this schedule and then every little thing goes wrong. And that was brilliant. And I also thought it was brilliant when the one scene where Elliot was trying to get to a workstation to work from, and he spots that woman, Edie, who's sniffing white out. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting where he goes from this environment where he clearly did not fit in because of how he looked to adopting a role where the way that he looked really worked really well for him. Like no one questioned it when he was like, I'm from the ID department and just kind of acted like kind of uh, annoying and jerkish. Like people were like, okay, whatever. He's the IT guy. You know, he's like kicking people off their computer, making accusations. And I love the assumptions that got played out with the older woman where he's like, oh yeah, that's exactly who I want to go for and go from, I'm expecting an easy mark. She's like, whoa, but I've taken all these measures, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) You want that guy over there. It's just like completely going from like, okay, you have this stereotype about salespeople and Elliot playing off these stereotypes. And then you have Elliot being a stereotype and playing off that. And oh, holy crap. This person completely flips it on their head. Yeah. And then there were a couple of other nuances on top of that that I thought were cool as well. So she she throws this guy, Fred, under the bus, right? Because he's using Go to My PC, which we know is some trash program that they advertise on local cable. She already has something against Fred. Like, so there's this office politic where You know, I've worked with people who have sort of sabotaged others sort of on purpose and given them enough rope, quote unquote, to let them hang. Uh, And it definitely seemed like Edie was like more than happy to point anyone to Fred. And then when Elliot, who was in the guise as somebody named Henry, by the way, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Anytime someone who has your name appears on a show, it's kind of hard to forget because you just hear your name over and over again. My ears perked up too. But I loved when Elliot went over to Fred to get on his workstation. Fred had the typical jerky response to the IT person that you see so often. Never make an enemy out of your IT person. Just don't. (laughs) Every time you hear about someone important who uh, is revealed to have like porn or some sort of inappropriate material on their laptop, there's a pissed off IT 
technician and a department that never got any donuts. Seriously, like I said, I learned the hard way. My first job in tech, never let the IT person hate your guts. <laughs> you are absolutely right about that. And then there was one thing I thought was interesting was when uh, when Elliot did get on this computer, there was a flash of a news story about NASA claiming there was life on Mars or something like that. And I wondered if that was relevant or just showing that Fred spent a lot of time listening to bad music and surfing the internet. I mean, you know, the secret project with White Rose, when they talk about the cause and do you still believe, you know, there's a possibility that this could go in an extraterrestrial direction, I suppose. Yes, there are definitely people who are theorizing that. There are people who are theorizing the blockchain currency is the central story. And it's more really about that. And all of these science fiction references are just a diversion. It could be a, a combination of, of the two. But this is where we see that Elliot starts to figure out what's going on in terms of the fact that the dark army wants to install malicious firmware to bypass the patch that Elliot inserted to stop the dark army's plan. And I did look up some of the tech. Go for it. So there's a really great website, Naked Security, and there's a writer there who spends a lot of time reviewing Mr. Robot from the perspective of security and computer security. And so she says, Elliot needs to prevent the Dark Army from bypassing Elliot's patch. When we see Angela later on in the episode going to that very secure looking computer to initiate the thwarting of Elliot's plan to stop stage two, she was working on what's called an HSM. And an HSM is a special computer it's a dedicated cryptographic computer meant to be as tamper-proof as possible. And so whenever a company has a series of encryption keys or digital signing certificates, they would technically all be stored on an HSM. If the HSM detects that they have been compromised, it has the ability to shut down. This is written by Maria Varmazis on Naked Security. The plan is for stage two, because they want to blow up the building, the Dark Army, is they want to tap into the uninterruptible power supply sources that are computer-controlled backup batteries and you can imagine if you can take control of those in a building, you can probably cause them to overheat and explode. Which probably should give people pause uh, about, you know, the smart home, smart buildings, wiring up everything. You know, you're also introducing a lot of vulnerabilities. Like whenever you build a network, you're also building in vulnerabilities. You sure are. I mean, it's such an unexplored territory in our world are about to be completely consumed with you know, connected homes, smart households. I know we've talked about driverless cars recently. A lot of people's apartments, if they live in apartment buildings, they don't have keys anymore. They have electronic keys, dibs, and stuff like that to open and close doors. So if there's an energy blackout or somehow it's decided you shouldn't have access to your home, it's not going to work like an old-fashioned key works, just like hotel key cards, but like on steroids. Yeah, probably a good time just to remind anyone, anyone listening that you want to prepare for any sort of blackout or emergency, like have batteries on hand, have a flashlight, have uh, some su supplies. Uh, I had my power go out recently, like maybe about 
about a week and a half ago, Margaret. And it was a really good reminder for me just to make sure that I knew what to do if the power went out and I had all my batteries uh, for my flashlights and such. Yes, because we can be sure that when things start to deteriorate in those sort of crises contexts, I mean, look at what's happening to Puerto Rico. I mean, and the devastation that's there. And when I lived in Queens during the this one blackout, I know we talked about this on previous podcasts. It was, it really was just a matter of days, not weeks or months where you really started to see the infrastructure fall down. And this was just a little, you know, couple neighborhoods in Queens. It wasn't even all of Manhattan or all of New York state. And our energy grids are very uh, fragile, as we know. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but there was a while, several years back in California, I mean, blackouts in San Francisco happen kind of all the time. Yeah. And one thing that I found really useful during that blackout was a headlamp uh, because I don't know if you've ever worn one, Margaret, but you can get one for like $10 on Amazon, uh, LED lights. Uh, they'll last for uh, quite a while. Uh, but the great thing about it is it leaves your hands free. If you have a flashlight, you always have one hand occupied with a flashlight and it can be kind of difficult to, to do other things. Whereas if you have a headlamp, wherever your head is turned, you have light, so it's a lot easier to do stuff. Yeah, headlamps are great. I have used those before in different contexts. And, um, you know, one time oh, when I was... please do share headlamps in different contexts. Have you been to ah. in a previous life? What have you been doing with that headlamp, Margaret? Uh, I was hiking in Hawaii at night by the very lava. good, co- Very good cover story. Okay, I approve. <laughs> it's my story and I'm sticking to it. So we talked about Elliot in the conference room being very rude, talking about unknown variables keeping popping up. Maybe this is a good time to talk about the fact that this episode is called Runtime Error. And it's no coincidence, probably, that it was a continuous episode with no breaks. And a runtime error is interesting because that's when a continuous process is broken because of a bug. Yeah. And I was thinking about that also in the context of the continuous shots and thinking, well, it's interesting because even though it appears that it's just one long continuous shot, we actually know that it was shot in certain chunks. And basically, anytime someone passes, walks by in front of the camera, it's an opportunity for them to introduce a cut. Um, I don't know if you track that while you're watching it, but you can see several instances where someone walks right in front of the camera. And I think, I'm pretty sure that that's where they're using the uh, for the cuts. Um, but it's the appearance of continuity when it's actually interrupted. And it made me think about how that often happens in the hacking world where you're actually making something appear unbroken while you're actually slicing it up. That's so great. That's that's a really good point. Hacking is such an art. I mean, I don't pretend to understand a lot of what's done, but it's there's such an elegance to it, either in terms of its simplicity or how the different pieces fit together or how it's, it's meant to mimic natural processes and runtimes, and how it also taps into people's um, tendencies to act or react. So when Elliot was running away from the security, there was the guy who was on the phone talking about his family situation on, on the stairways. And he didn't think twice about scanning Elliot into the building when Elliot's key card clearly didn't work. And the right thing to do would have been to send him to security. But then he'd be guilty of violating a deeper social norm or rule, right? So basically, Elliot, and often 
social hackers will do this, where they basically put people into very uncomfortable situations where they have to violate social norms or codes not to comply with the request. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, I just had that experience just the other day. I was walking into the lobby of a building and I let the person behind me in when I, and I sort of thought twice about it because the door was already locked and there was a, uh, a guard there. But of course, lo and behold, the person kind of made a little bit of a scene and didn't belong there. And, you know, and so I sort of got socially hacked because I sort of just did what was socially acceptable, but probably not the best idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I living in New York, you know, where you have often these secure buildings, and you have to be careful of who you let in. There's always people wanting to come inside, put a package or whatnot. It's almost like you have to figure out ways to prevent yourself from being in that socially uncomfortable situation where if you approach the door, you make sure that you, you time it so that no one else is going to get there around the same time or things like this. Mm -hmm. And I definitely thought the protests were so intense because those were so real and reminded me of protests that have been happening all around us. And they looked very current and definitely not 2015. They looked 2017. But then seeing that it was mostly comprised of people in support of F Society and knowing sort of the back story of what we're supposed to think about F Society. What did you think of that? So I don't know how much you've been following some of the uh, Russian, or actually, I know that you've been following the Russian hacking the election stuff fairly closely. And, you know, people often talk about how uh, Russian intelligence services will actually appear to support like both sides. And oftentimes it's called like strategic deception where it, it, you actually like it's there's this like famous anecdote like after the Russian Revolution where the Communist Party actually created a royalist organization to attract all the people who would otherwise want to bring the Communist Party down so that they could wrap them all up and exterminate the threat in a, in a very convenient way. Um, and so this idea that F Society supporters might actually be dark army plants, um, and you're actually blurring the lines of who's supporting which side, it, it's all part of this larger web of deception. Yes, a larger web of deception that operates on a fundamental human level of fueling the flames in certain ways of dissent, whether it's for on the surface for the good or not, but also creating what I like to call a term I invented called cognitive dissonance. Just kidding. I didn't invent the term, <laughs> but you know, but it instills a sense of cognitive dissonance, dissonance. Once you start to find out that some of these groups are, are not what they necessarily seem. We're seeing a lot of that right now in the real world too. Yeah. Where these groups that you would think were very patriotic, good old US of A are actually groups that were funded, supported, or influenced by Kremlin agents or other people with a strategic aim to deceive Americans. Yeah. And so Elliot is sort of struggling in his way to get through the building. I definitely felt Elliot's tension going through and trying to escape and then figure out a way to get back to the main computer, the crypto computer. So it's like a little game of HR Pac-Man, that sense of like, I'm being chased. Waka, 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 waka. Yeah. <laughs> and then Angela, it was the same thing, right? Uh, only Angela ended up having to take on the task that they were expecting Elliot to do and not to be all like, I don't have a lot of faith in Angela's tech skills, but they made it clear she wasn't as good as Darlene and Elliot. And then suddenly she's able to, in, in the context of having, after having tear gas sprayed in her face or, or, or pepper spray or whatever it is, uh, she can 
she can handle those routines. But she did have instructions, um, which which made me kind of I don't know laugh because I just can't see Elliot following instructions, right? Like. I mean, it just doesn't sit right that he would get an envelope packet and some instructions and he would do exactly what the instructions said. Yeah, he would. I mean, the way they play Elliot is he would already know what what he's supposed to do. And, uh, you know, exactly, exactly. So why are these like why are there instructions detailed enough that Angela can figure out what needs to be done? Because shouldn't Elliot be able to do this without instructions. I mean, that's the way they plan, as you said. Yeah, uh, but we d- we definitely see her go through the office building while the whole E-Corp location gets totally trashed by these F-Society rabble-rousers who were sent in to be a distraction. But I think maybe they, they definitely got a little bit out of hand. They didn't really seem to be hurting too many people except for that one guy who, the one security guy who tried to take Angela aside, who was smart enough, who was actually doing his job. Yeah, and I just, that part of like the the people being able to damage the building that severely without any sort of interference by security personnel just didn't ring true to me. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is no way that those people could get through that whole building without being uh, tasered or shot or killed. Probably. Yeah, because I don't know if you've noticed like security at some of these buildings in New York, but they're not just kind of a bunch of rent-a-cops uh, with uh, plastic sticks. Like a lot of them are heavily armed. But Angela manages to pull it off. And I thought it was pretty striking seeing her leave the building, having to wear that that icky F Society mask that was all kind of soiled and destroyed. That had also pepper spray on it. Yeah, it was pretty gross. I would have had a hard time fulfilling those tasks that Angela did in that in the midst in the midst of that kind of chaos. I mean, that was incredibly challenging what she did. Do you think she pulled it off? Do you think we're meant to think she pulled it off? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's kind of brutally effective in her own way, Angela. She is, and she's she's very good in this episode. I mean, can't take it away from from the actress who portrays her and also from the steadfastness. And I did love the hamburger guy reappeared, the sandwich guy, the dark army person whom we've seen who's in that sort of all dressed in white, like a nuclear fallout suit. Angela handed him the envelope and he was eating a sandwich. And now I guess we know he really likes red barbecue after all this time. That's what he's been eating. Yeah. Who, who, who would have thought? And, you know, again, that reference uh, that we'll see if it pays off in the future. Um, And Hey, I don't want to leave this without us talking about one of the most important things where Darlene confesses to Elliot that she's been spying for the FBI all this time. That was an amazing scene. What did you think about that? No, I just thought, well, okay, you know, the fact that they had that conversation in such a compressed, stressed environment. Whereas if you thought about all the different ways that that conversation or that revelation could happen and to have it happen in a kind of a real time sort of episode where there's a demonstration, there's time urgency. It really made the conversation a lot shorter than if they were sitting in his apartment, for instance, right? Like that would be a five, 10, 15 minute scene that would cut to commercial 
Whereas this one was like a very immediate present conversation. Yeah. And again, this is where the sound design carried the moment, in my opinion, because as soon as Elliot, you know, he was so wrapped up in in thwarting stage two, the minute he heard his his beloved sister betrayed him and is working with the FBI, there was that sort of that humming sound or that that um, you know high pitched sound that he heard, and I don't know, it, it really rang true to me when I've had bad news or really upsetting news. Doesn't it feel like time stops and everything else sort of around you is blurred out? Yeah, and I think that's like called temporary tinnitus. Is that kind of like ringing, kind of like when all of a sudden the sound gets a little bit more muted and gets replaced with this kind of ringing sound? It's called temporary tinnitus. That's pretty neat. I have definitely had that. And I've definitely had that experience within past year, at least once. Yeah. My, me too. That's why I looked it up. Temporary tonight. Oh, that's really neat. Amazing episode. I'm curious to see how the next episode will open, right? Because either it will open as a continuation of this one or it will kind of jump to a completely different place or time. So I'm kind of curious to see which one it's going to be. I think if it opens basically contiguous to this one, I will have good hopes for the next episode. If it opens in some other random ass place, <laughs> I will, my, my hope for the episode will go down. And my hope too is that they pick up right where they left off and that continues at this pace. There are things I thought were really interesting that I should mention. Number one is it becomes clear that Darlene is letting the FBI think that it's really Terrell who is who is sort of the mastermind. So in a sense, it's becoming apparent that Terrell is kind of a patsy in a certain way. Yeah, he's being positioned by Darlene to to take the fall and for her to somehow find a way out. It sounds like she's maybe doing it so that if she needs to, she'll die and then Elliot will take revenge for her. But I'm sure there's going to be some other option presented that she can find to get herself out. Yeah, and I also thought, I agree, and I also love seeing Mr. Robot again and interacting with Elliot that we kind of saw much more in season one. I mean, I think you've probably heard me say a million times that I love Christian Slater and I think they play off of each other incredibly well. Yeah, Christian Slater does this kind of like gruff uh, mentor voice kind of dynamic, right? Where he's kind of kind of coaching, but he can also kind of be a dick. And, you know, that kind of interaction that he has He's played similar types of characters before, and I think he always does them really well. Yeah, so of course, for me, I will I will always see the Mr. Robot character as a continuation of his character JD from Heathers. <laughs> for me, it's a one long straight line between the two parts. See, for me, it's uh, Turn Up the Volume, uh, this Christian Slater movie from like way back where he plays this radio DJ. Um, and he has like... He does these kind of monologues about how the world's kind of messed up and how people just aren't seeing things like they should be. Um, and so I look at Mr. Robot as kind of a continuation of that character, which probably gives it a very different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see that too. And and then finally, we did talk about this a little bit at the beginning, and then we should definitely move into which would you choose. But I really appreciate the fact that Mr. Robot is so prescient to introduce a subplot around the whole idea of the annexation of the Congo. 
and a superpower like China, especially now that we have our government visiting abroad. I think they're in, he's in Vietnam today, but he was recently in China. And we are seeing stories of superpower like China extending its influence in places like Greece. I know we talked about recently. And then here in this fictional story, the Congo, or maybe not so fictional, I think it's just brilliant t- storytelling to introduce that. Yeah. And it made me think about how how many times we have a sort of like uh, economic annexation that takes place where we don't have to go through such drastic measures as getting the UN to declare uh, an official annexation. Oftentimes it's achieved through economic ends where we just bring that particular country under closer and closer economic dependence to the point where their independence is pretty much a moot point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, I suppose on that light note, we ought to move into one of our games called Which Would You Choose? I understand that you have one for me, Henry. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Which Would You Choose? It's a game that uh, Darlene Elliott used to play on the rides together, referenced in the Red Wheelbarrow book. Um, And uh, Margaret and I, I thought it'd be a fun thing to play on each show. The one I have for you this week, Margaret, is which would you choose? A really talkative coworker or a coworker who doesn't speak at all? Oh, that's so easy for me to to answer. A a coworker who does not speak at all. Really? Yes. Interesting. So I thought about this and I think the one thing that makes me not want to choose a coworker who doesn't speak at all is I'd be afraid that they'd come into the workplace and shoot everyone. Um, Yeah, because I... Maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of tend to associate that with people who don't talk versus people who just talk all the time. Yes, there is that cliche, still water runs deep. So maybe you're on to something. And the reason I immediately went with the coworker who doesn't talk all the time is we have a lot of talkers in certain industries (laughs) and maybe more than others. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be in these meetings where people just talk for five minutes or a meeting will end and everybody goes to stand up and then someone will have to tell us a really scintillating five-minute story, (laughs) which is fine. Uh, Sometimes silence is golden. God, I just had a flashback to when I was working on this project where we would have conference calls and there'd be like eight people on the conference call and it would go for like three hours. Brutal. Yeah. Or you'll have a conference call where everybody is on mute and then they all go to say goodbye and there are like a hundred on the conference call and it creates this awful feedback sound that happened recently it was hilarious (laughs) i just got another flashback yes i've been in situations where there's a a long sign-off process (laughs) goodbye goodbye Goodbye, 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 goodbye. I have a which would you choose? And this one is going to be set in the fictional Mr. Robot universe, maybe, and not necessarily in the real world. All right, cool. Okay. The USA or China? USA. And why would you say that? I don't know. I'm just a patriotic, red-blooded American, Margaret. Why would I? Wouldn't I say that? Are you you questioning my choice because I'm Asian? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this actually today, funny enough, in my free time, I think about geopolitics uh, (laughs) and about how China is kind of positioning itself in a really interesting way for the future. Like, yes, they've polluted their environment and they've uh, done a lot of harm to their ecosystem, but they're also investing really heavily into solar technologies and other technologies uh, to improve and clean up their environment. And couple this with the measures that they're taking to exert social control, tamp down dissent, um, 
promote stability while also making sure that they continue their rapid pace of economic growth. And you have China looking at the next hundred years as a century that they can dominate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the fictional Mr. Robot universe, my answer would be USA. And I think in the real world, I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying in terms of the investment China is making in cryptography. Isn't that right? And also cryptocurrencies and also artificial intelligence, they really are set to become the de facto leaders in artificial intelligence. And that's an important movement. And they also have the ability to, from what I understand, experiment in certain ways that would be harder to do because it verges on the unethical. For example, I don't know if you read recently in the news, there's a whole town in China that is sort of like would be our equivalent of NSAville. So it's a whole town where a lot of like cutting edge security things are tested and tried out on the population sounds very sci-fi and i know we do that also yeah i think the one thing that united states has that china doesn't is silicon valley um and to the extent that we're living in the future here in the bay area and everyone in the rest of the world is just waiting for it to be distributed uh there i think it's uh it's going to be interesting to see which version of the future wins out because already china has kind of forked with the way that we've continued to technolo technologically develop. So like bots and a lot of other chat services like WeChat are much more popular there than they are here. And it's not necessarily a question of it coming over here at any time. It's just a question of their own particular market has evolved in a very different direction. Yeah, I mean, and it has evolved in a different direction in large part because of, in my understanding at least, because of how the censorship works and how the different regulations work in terms of accessing um, community and information. Well, I mean, I think it's also at the direction of the central government. And when I think academics and historians look back at these last 30, 40 years of China, it's going to be examined in part as a, a period of success where the government was able to direct economic development and the way that it would grow in a much more interventionist way than economists and academics had probably thought possible before. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. China just had a huge shift in their political landscape, right? Because she, President Xi is now much more cemented as a central figure. He's enacted this so-called anti-corruption campaign. We're seeing a lot of upheaval in Saudi Arabia with the whole structure there being completely overturned. And I'm not saying those two things are necessarily related, but we're definitely seeing a lot of movement in, in all places of the world. Like everything's shifting right now, the dynamics. And I do think China, from what I understand, you know, and as reflected in this Mr. Robot storyline with the Congo annexation, I don't think that's too far from a reality at all. Yeah, I think if everyone is dirty or somewhat corrupt, then anti-corruption campaigns become a very convenient way for authoritarian strongmen or other people who are looking to consolidate power to rid themselves of critics, right? Because if everyone's guilty, then it also makes you look very good by comparison because the implication is you are not corrupt. If you are the ones left standing after a corruption anti-corruption campaign, it kind of signals your virtue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how Putin came into power. He became popular because he ran on an anti-corruption platform, ironically. And that's how he clamped down on the oligarchs, quote unquote, and became one himself was that he offered quid pro quo deals in the guise of anti-corruption.
and drain the swamp. That's mm-hmm. anti. That's an anti-corruption slogan, right? So mm-hmm. you see these tactics being pulled, deployed here also. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, great, great show, great episode. I love the fast-paced nature of it and the claustrophobic feeling, and it, it felt very believable the way everything was sort of patched together. Did you have a word that came to mind when you thought of this episode? Unbroken. Unbroken. That's great. I really like that. There's just such a frenetic energy. So high stakes, maybe. I know that's kind of a hyphenated word, but high stakes. I mean, everything felt so momentous. Every little run-in and interaction that you had in the hall where any sign that you were not just doing your normal thing, you know, blank look, anything that made you stand out was a tell and would put you in danger, at least for Elliot, even the way Angela kind of maneuvered things too later on. So I like that unbroken and then high stakes. And predictions, oh gosh, I think maybe that alien thing, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there'll be some kind of diversion around aliens that gets introduced. I think that this will not be the last time we see an episode shot this way. And I think that's a good thing, but that's my prediction. Super creative. And I hope that everyone who has been listening, if you want to get in touch, please write us at the hello friend podcast at gmail.com. I love your comments so far. And I know Henry does too, not to speak on your behalf, Henry. And if you want to rate and review us or subscribe, that would be super awesome. Is there anything else we should talk about before we sign off? No, I just want to reiterate also for myself that I love interacting with uh, the people listening to this podcast and the things that you have to say it's kind of humbling to see uh, see and hear how many different people from all the different parts of the world actually are listening to the podcast and yeah that's great it is humbling and thanks for putting that focus on that i don't know about you but maybe it's time for me to go listen to some philip glass and break out some barbecue and and reflect on the series so far and i'll talk to you soon henry yeah and just like the episode this podcast was recorded with no cuts whatsoever wink wink (laughs) (laughs) seriously (laughs) (laughs) all right margaret i'll talk to you later all right okay bye bye Until now, you've never really seen the world.